Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. We were building our building in uh, the Detroit area, and we had bought an old Catholic uh, uh, rehabilitation school where uh, students came to live. And we were remodeling 11 buildings. We had tore some buildings out to drop a 1,500-seat auditorium right in the middle of all the buildings. And we had already remodeled the administrative wing. And so I had an office that had an elevator that went down to what used to be the cafeteria, but now went down to nothing. And in fact, the elevator doors opened right into the outside courtyard where the auditorium was going to be built. And me and the architect, we decided, let's jump on. We're, we're looking at blueprints. We jump on the elevator to go down just to make some measurements in the courtyard. And uh, it was a freezing day in Michigan. It was probably zero degrees. We made our measurements, got back in the elevator to go back up to the office, by the way, where we left our cell phones. Mm-hmm. And um, we got in the elevator, and I had never noticed before, but he was a pretty wide-shouldered guy, and I was a little wider-shouldered back then. And we got on the elevator, and right where you push the buttons, it said maximum capacity, 420 pounds. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, Bill, how much do you weigh? And he said, 200 pounds. He said, how much do you weigh? I said, I weigh 200 pounds also. So I pushed the button and said, well, we'll be fine. I pushed the button and the elevator started moving up, but I think it was recognizing zero degrees also, and it got stuck in between the floors. And as it got stuck, I looked over at Bill and I said, Bill, you lied. (laughs) Now, Now, I've told that story here probably at least once before I told that story, and somebody came up to me after I told the story and said, did you ever get out? And I was like, what in the world? (laughs) We have a special class for people like you, all right? (laughs) That's not the point of the message. The point of the message, have you ever hoped that you were going to a certain destination only to feel stuck in life? Have you ever felt stuck in life? That's what I want to talk to you about in this series, if you're new to the series. And, and, and I want to talk to you about how do we get unstuck, or to put it better, how do we find freedom? You see, because many have tried to get off the, what we'll call the addiction elevator. The addiction elevator, it brings us up when we're doing good. Man, I'm conquering that addiction. And for the word addiction, it's habits, it's hang-ups, it's hurt, it's all that stuff. It's the things that we do that we don't want to do. And how do I get off that elevator? And sometimes we'll go to classes and sometimes we'll get mentoring. And maybe there's a season where it feels like I'm, I'm conquering, I'm doing good, and the elevator is going up. But if you've ever dealt with addictions, you know the feeling that then when I mess up, I feel like the elevator takes me all the way back down. And it shows up in my mood. It shows up, and that's where shame and condemnation come. And so we live with this constant feeling of success one day and failure the next day. But what if I told you that the grace of Jesus Christ can help you know that you are more than a conqueror every single day? Come on, everyone. 
See, many make the terrible mistake that religion is the answer, or let me say it this way, that religion is the door that gets us off the up and down elevator. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to suggest another door, because if you've ever tried religion, religion is not the door. Religion is not the way. Religion is not the way to find freedom. Can I get an amen in the house today? And some of you that are new to church are going, yeah, but I thought that's what I was here for. Well, let me expel that right now. We're not here to find religion. We're here to know God. Can I get an amen on that, right? See, Jesus is the door, and the message that Jesus brought to us in the New Testament, it's a message of grace, and grace is the door. And maybe you find yourself in a dilemma. I want to do good. Ken, I really want to do good, and and I know that because you're here today. I know that because you're tuned in online. I looked across the crowd and seen people taking notes, and people got their phone out. I want to do good, And, and sometimes by willpower, I do good, and the elevator goes up. But bad is right there when I least expect it. Come on, how many of you have at least experienced that if you're not experiencing it right now? I, this is it. I got it. I'm in church. I heard the message. I'm singing my songs. I'm high five my friends. I got this. And then Monday morning rolls around. How many know what I'm saying, right? And here it comes. And, and bad is right there when I least expected. And then the condemnation. And then the guilt. And then the shame. It's interesting how those can enter into the elevator and close the door and make you feel stuck, and they will have a party on your emotions. Mm -hmm. And and what happens to us is we then think that this Christian life is just this battle of will. Some days I do good, some days I don't, but there has to be more to the Christian walk than a battle of what we can accomplish and the disciplines that we have. Otherwise, we're just no different than any other motivational leadership teacher. We need supernatural help. Amen on that, everybody? So our theme verse, we'll find the supernatural help. Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verses number 3 through 5. It says, for though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. All that's beginning to do is set us up for, look, we need more than just the earthly tools. We need supernatural. Now, that might sound like a freaky word, supernatural. Uh Uh-oh, hocus pocus. Super is where we get the word superior, and natural is just the human man. So you have to agree, we need something to help us break addictions that is superior to what a man can pull off. Okay, so that's what that means. And it says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, watch this, they have divine power. You see, we need divine power to break strongholds. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. I'll define that again in just a moment. And we, and we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So all these arguments and things that are pretending that come against the knowledge of God. Saying you can never do it, but the knowledge of God says you're more than a conqueror. Saying I can never do it, but the knowledge of God says he gave me power over all the powers of darkness. And, and the, the pretenses and the arguments say, man, I'm just going to be this way the rest of my life. But the knowledge of God says I'm the head and not the tail. And the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave, come on, 
Do I need to keep on? And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right, everyone? And so that's what the scripture teaches us. Now, let me define some words for you. First of all, stronghold. I gave three definitions last week, but let me just give a couple or just one today. A stronghold is a prisoner that is locked by deception. A prisoner. You're a prisoner in your mind, and you're locked by a lie. And that, and that lie, the lock on that prison cell might have been the lie of your childhood or the lies that we believe. And, 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 and you're living life by something that is not true, a stronghold. It's, it's, it's in our mind. It's the way we process a thought, but it's not true. But we've believed the lie for so long that we think that the lie is true. Mm-hmm. All right, living by something that is not true. So let me give you a couple other real simple working definitions. When we read, it demolishes arguments. Arguments are what happened to us. Arguments are just simply, um, well, arguments are the things that said, I know I can do it, and then the next day I'll never do it, right? Have you ever been there? I know I can get on that treadmill, but it's a good clothes hanger. You know what I'm talking about, right? Right? That's an argument. It's like it's the battle inside that is going on. Let me tell you what happens while a preacher is preaching or you're hearing a Bible study even. Right now, the devil does come to church and he's present and he will argue right now in your mind with the word of God that is being preached. And I could preach on any given topic, and the enemy will come in and say, well, that's good for the person next to you. Look at how happy they are, but that'll never work for you. You've tried it before. Come on, how many of that's ever happened to you? Let me see your hands. Come on, let me see your hands. See, you're lying right now. The devil's saying, you don't need to raise your hand, all right, okay? That's an argument. It's like while I'm preaching... And, and you believe the lie, it's an argument. No, that's not what my daddy taught me. That's not how I learned it. That's not what I experienced. But the word of God is true. Let God's word be true and every man a liar. Amen? Right? It's the, it's the argument that happens, and it happens even in church. And then there's the pretense. And the word pretense is really where we get the childish word pretending. It's something in our mind that's pretending to be greater and pretending to have more power than it really does. Some of you have given way more power to that addiction or that habit than you need to because it's pretending if you get rid of it, I'll never be happy again. If I get rid of it, I'm going to be lost and don't know what to do. And it's everything, working definition, knowledge of God, is all those arguments and pretenses that are saying anything that is contrary to the Word of God. See, that's why the enemy wants you so busy you don't have time to read the Word of God. Because he don't know, want you to know the Word of God, because once you start knowing the Word of God, now you have something to argue against the lie. But if you don't have truth and you don't know the truth, then you have nothing to argue the lie to. Is that making sense, everybody? And then he says, so that we can break every thought. And, and thought is just breaking addictions. Breaking addictions start right here, everybody. They start right here. It starts in the way that we think. Again, I'm going to do a series right after this on the book of Ephesians. And, and Ephesians constantly says, renew, put on the new man, renew the mind. So we're going to talk about that. Let me give you one more working definition. It's the uh, working definition to the word addiction. Addiction uh, is anything. Now, in church, we like to think about addictions like Uh, you know, drugs and pornography. But how many know you could be addicted to a negative way of thinking? 
right? Okay. So addiction is anything that I do that I don't want to do, but I won't stop doing. Mm-hmm. And you notice that, and, and you could take that a long way, because there's nothing that you're doing that's good for you that you're trying to stop doing, right? Man, I really wish I could quit eating carrots and celery. I really, I just, man, it's so hard. But I open the refrigerator, and there they are saying, here I am, here I am, right? Come on, right? It's the bad things, not the good things. Come on, you know I'm right about that. Anything that I do that I don't want to do, but I just won't or feel like I can't stop doing. Paul, who was one of the most godly men that ever walked this earth, he has some things to say about it. And I don't know about you, but I find encouragement in it. Watch what Paul says in Romans. In Romans chapter number 7, I highlighted all the do-do-do-do's. Watch this, all right? He said, I do not understand. Have anybody here ever not understood yourself? Why do I so bad want to do this, but I don't know why I did this? Yeah, okay, good. I'm talking to good company then. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate, uh, excuse me, but what I hate is what I do. And if I do what I do, I not want to do, Does this sound like an argument that you've ever had with yourself? Right? For I know that good itself, watch this, does not dwell in me. There was a famous psychiatrist a few years in the, back in the 90s, late 80s and 90s that talked about, no, all humans have, are basically good. No, we're not. No, if you're left to yourself, you'd be surprised how you would act. I'm surprised how you act and you come to church. Imagine how you would act if you never came to church. How many know you need church? You need God, right? Okay, here we go. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Come on. How many can relate to Paul, right? Yeah, exactly. He goes on to say, let me read it in a translation that's a little easier. In chapter number 7, verse 21, he says, so watch this. And this is very important. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body. Watch this. This is where 2 Corinthians comes in, waging war. Let me stop real quick. Christian, this is not a Boy Scout club. This is not a Girl Scout club. This is not a kumbaya, locker room, warm, fuzzy meeting. If you're going to find freedom, there's going to be some war that has to be waged. Knowing God is free, but finding freedom means I'm going to have to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to have to engage in my life and quit living by default and start living by design and set some things up and fight that battle. Come on, are you here today, right? i got to do some fighting. Jesus already paid the price for for us to know God. But how bad do you want to find freedom, right? And so there's a waging war against the law of my mind and making me, doesn't this sound just like 2 Corinthians, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then watch what he says. Paul, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he says, man, I just don't get it. What a wretched man I am. Or if he was saying it in today's world, he said, man, 
How jacked up am I that I love God and one minute I'm writing letters to the churches and the other day I can't stop doing the thing I don't want to do. Man, I'm messed up. I should just quit going to church. That religion stuff must not really work. Mm -hmm. Let me talk to you real quick about the lies that the addiction will bring to you. So addictions don't just come and, and make you addicted to the substance or whatever the thing is. It also moves in all his lies so that our lies are constantly working right here. Here's some simple ones. Number one, the addiction lies. The addiction has become a part of my identity. That's one of the lies addiction will tell you. Well, that's just the way you are. It's just, you know, it's the, and, and sometimes we even pull out geographical things. We'll, we'll pull out, that's just the German in me, <laughs> you know, or that's just the man in me, or that's, that's the way daddy did it. It's just the way that I am. And, and we give up thinking, watch this Christians, we, we give up thinking that this Christian life has a battle. Because we have a bumper sticker that says, Jesus will fight my battles. He already fought our battle for salvation. Are you going to engage and fight the battle for your freedom? Because you can be saved and on your way to heaven, but living in bondage while you're waiting on the bus to pick you up. Right? And, and so we, we, we have this give up thinking, well, man, it shouldn't be so hard. Listen, you've been in that addiction for 30 years. What makes you think one meeting at the cross is going to set you free from that? Now, that can happen, and in rare occasions it does, but I, I think I remember God telling Joshua that when you enter into the promised land, I'll drive the enemies out little by little. Why? Because God wants us to depend on him, not one time on a Sunday at a big crusade. He wants us to depend on him every single day to be our daily bread and our portion and our power. Amen, everyone? And, and let me say to somebody else, you are not what you have done. And you are not what you are currently doing. You are what God says that you are. And, and, and I thank God for the 12-step programs that are out there. But you are not that. You are what God says you are. Come on, everybody. Are you hearing me? And by the way, and just in case you're taking notes and need some reinforcement, John 8:36 says, And who the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, you might not have recognized that you're free yet, but God has a picture of you in the freedom. Number two, here's another lie. The addiction lie is the addiction tells you that it's hopeless. It just, man, I've been trying to get over this. I've been to every prayer meeting. I've been to every church service. I've taken notes. And, and this vicious cycle that, that when I try to stop and I fail... There's an increasing hopelessness that seeps into my life. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and so the Bible says where hope is deferred, the heart gets sick. So in other words, man, I tried, I failed. I tried, I failed. And every time we try and fail and we look at it as trial and failure rather than part of a linear journey, then we feel good and then bad, and then good and bad. And because we don't like feeling bad, we'll try to find ways to accept the thing that we're doing as normalcy, and it's okay. Uh, you don't even recognize it, but I'm tiptoeing in all kind of cultural minefields right there. So we'll just quit saying something is wrong. 
Oh, I got to go on. All right. Some of us, some of this thinking, some of the addiction that tells us it's hopeless, I'm going to tell you, some of it even comes in church messaging. Some of it comes from a religious theology. A religious theology will tell you to do more things so that the addiction will leave you. Well, you ought to be praying more. Well, you should be fasting more. And you should be doing more. How many know that then all of my freedom is 100% dependent on me, but Jesus has won the battle? Yes, i got to get into the battle with Jesus, but the myth of doing more, praying more, going to all these things more, that is not necessarily it. It has to start right here first. Because you can pray until you lose your voice. And I'm not diminishing the power of prayer. But again, God told Joshua one time, Joshua, quit talking about it. Quit praying about it. Get up, pick up your sword, and go fight the enemy. Come on, somebody. I just made a church person mad. I can tell, all right? Uh, and see, here's what it'll do. is say, man, you got to do this more, and you got to do this more. And you're looking across the aisle going, man, everyone in this building is living victorious except for me. That's what the lie will do. Number three, here's a third lie. Any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. So you have somebody that cares greatly about you, and so they want to speak into your life about the addiction, and you can't hear what they're saying because you think they're attacking you. And, and you'll write them out. I don't need friends like that. Yes, you do. What you don't need is friends that tell you everything is unicorns and rainbows. You need somebody. Come on, I use this illustration all the time. But you've seen people show up on American Idol and say, I'm going to be the next American Idol. And when they start singing, the crowd starts booing because they didn't have anybody in their life that loved them enough to say, please don't embarrass your family and yourself and go on national television. See, when you do life by yourself, you become weird. And, and, and I'm saying that to be funny, but it is truth. Because you'll begin to justify things. So any threat to my addiction becomes a threat to me. Now I'm going to work this out, and I'm going to calm my voice down because I need to touch some sensitive issues here. And I hope you'll hear this. See, what happens is, uh-oh, you're attacking me, and so we go on the, offen or the defensive and we begin to defend the very thing that someone loved us enough to try to speak to us about. And when you defend it, all you do is fortify the stronghold and make the stronghold stronger than it was. Mm -hmm. and, and so then, watch this, so we begin to live in a culture where nobody can speak into our lives because we're all defending our pet sin or our pet addiction or the thing we've tried and we can't, and we've tried and we can't, and we tried and we can't, because most of us try through religion or self-helps, and we can't. So instead of continuing to fight the battle, we normalize the addiction and say, don't you dare tell me. And then we'll come up with a humanistic theology that says, well, you just do you. Oh, it's quiet in the house today. Woo! How many know? We say that all the time. Oh, you just do you. Whatever works for you. No, not whatever works for you. Because whatever works for you might not be God's plan for you. It's, I, I've spent my life trying to do the opposite of whatever works for me. Because what's working for me isn't always good. Ooh, I got some people hot. I can see steam coming out of some of your ears. No, not you do you. You do God. 
Can I say it again? You got to do God. You want God's blessing, then you got to walk in God's plan or at least attempt to aim yourself that way. All right, I said I'd talk quieter. Here we go. Let me just ask you a question. Are you living by God's standard or your own made-up standard? And in doing so, you're protecting something that is not God's plan for your life, but you're so tired of riding the elevator that you just want to normalize the downs in life. Let me show you this on a practical level. One of the things people say they love about Radius, and I'm glad for this, is they say this. This is the biggest feedback we get. Man, Radius, we love Radius because it's so accepting. And I love when you say that. That's what our R is all about. It's all about an open circle. And every single person, rich or poor, black or white, educated, non-educated, have a home, homeless, whatever, Wherever you're at in your theology, wherever you're at in your sexuality, wherever you're at in any walk of life, the circle is open for you to come and sit in a black chair and search for truth. And everybody loves that. You're waiting for the other shoe to fall, though, aren't you? Because let me tell you what that doesn't mean. Just because we accept you doesn't mean that we can deputize and agree with everything that is going on. Because somewhere in life, you don't even have to be spiritual to understand this. All you have to do is be logical to understand somewhere there has to be a line of what's good and what's bad. And what's helpful and what's harmful. Man, some of you, I'm scared. I need to leave. Security? Again. All right? Um... And so I get this question a lot as a pastor, especially in a day where everything is normalized, nothing is bad. So I'll get this question all the time. Well, what's the church's stance on? And then they fill in the thing that they've been riding the elevator on for all their life. And what's the church's stance on? And, and, and I, I'm not going to get into that on Sunday morning. I'll deal with that a little bit in next steps. But let me at least say this. First of all, I don't get to have an opinion about what my stance is on anything. You see, I don't have a my opinion, you do you worldview. I have a biblical worldview. And so sometimes the biblical worldview is different than what my own opinion or idea about the subject is. Woo, it's quiet in church today. Yeah. And, and so watch this. I don't get to have that opinion. I, as a man of God, as a follower of Christ, I'm endeavoring to understand what the Bible says about things. Come on, are you guys here? I, I think you came to a Bible teaching church today. I, I thought you knew that you were. Three or four hand claps experienced that. Okay. Let me say it another way to calm that down a little bit. We're not looking for perfect people. Again, the circle's open. We accept you. Yeah, but what if you don't agree with me? We still accept you. We still love you. We're still going to invite you. We're still going to high-five you. That's one of the reasons we don't do church membership around here. You're accepted. You're accepted. We love you. But, but me and my wife don't even always agree. I don't even agree with myself on certain days. Come on, everybody, right? But we want you to stay on the journey with us. We still love you. We don't think less of anybody. If you're wrestling with an addiction, we don't think less. We think that it's amazing that you're fighting with a different opinion than we are, but you still show up here to stay on the journey. You deserve a hand clap today. Come on now. 
let, let me give you just a, um, see, sometimes though, it's not because we don't accept you, but sometimes the addiction might disqualify me from certain arenas that I can do life in. Hmm, wait a minute. Well, let me just give you something practical. If you're on probation for embezzlement and you have a problem with sticky fingers, we're not going to put you on the trustee board. How many think that's a good idea? Because the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, you wouldn't let me be your pastor if I was engaged in regular uh, activities that you deemed are wrong. Right? See, in spiritual leadership, it works different than world leadership. World leadership, the higher you go up the ladder, the more benefits you get. You get a special parking spot, you get an office in the corner, you get vacation pay, you get more benefits. In spiritual leadership, the higher you go up the ladder, the less benefits you get. There's no special parking spot for me out there, but the visitor's got a special parking spot. <laughs> right? You see what I'm saying? See, I have to become less to represent him more. Mm. Number four, here's a fourth lie. The fourth lie is I'm not hurting anyone but myself. I'm just looking at the screen. No one else is around. <laughs> it hurts God's plan for you, though. And it, and it hurts your legacy. And it hurts the influence. And it hurts the thing that you can't even measure because you're so uh, in the addiction that you can't see God's plan. And God's plan is for you to find freedom and live abundant life. Right? And, and, and by the way, can I just say this, because it's been a little tough. You've never gone too far for God's redemption power. It's not hopeless here today. This is hopeful. The hope is that you can be on the journey, and God loves you, and we accept you. Amen, everyone? Number five, here's another lie. I ease the pain, um, I ease the pain by getting my next fix. <laughs> not Netflix, next fix. All right? <laughs> I ease the pain. And, 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 and that's what addiction will tell you. But you're not easing the pain. Watch this. What you're doing is you're postponing the pain. You're postponing it. And, and I promise you, there will be a payday. And it's going to come with interest. Okay. Look, Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, look, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. Oh, just one more hit. Just one more. Just one more. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. No, because then that wears off. Jesus said, if you drink of the world's water to try to satisfy the thirst, you're going to thirst again. But if you'll come and drink after me, come on, right? Amen. Romans chapter number 7, verse number 24. I've got to speed this up. Here's what it says. It goes on. So we're going through Romans. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that, here's the answer, everyone, is that God, is, excuse me, is that Jesus Christ can and does, can and does what? Does something about the hopelessness. He acted, this is so key, he acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Wow. That needs to be a midweek study for a whole year because there's a lot in that. We are always a slave to whatever is on the throne room of our heart. And he says right here, Jesus came and fought the battle to set this fight in place. All right? So let me give you some beginning baby steps uh, to overcoming addictions. 
Uh, we're going to deal with, over the next two weeks, the two biggest addictions that are happening in our culture right now. So we're going to deal very poignantly with a couple of them, all right? But today is just some very foundational stuff again. So here's some beginning baby steps uh, to help you settle who's the king of your heart. You'll never break the addiction if the addiction is sitting on the throne room of your heart. You have to decide that Jesus is on the throne of my heart. In other words, he, he is the Lord of all. Mm. See, we pray that prayer every week here, and people clap when we say this. The Bible says that if we'll confess with our mouth that he is Lord, that means that he's the Lord. That, that means he's number one. It means he's large and in charge. He's the Lord. Not Lord of Sunday. He's the Lord. I would say it this way. Just consider this just to make you think. If he's not the Lord of all, I would ask the question, is he the Lord at all? If you just want him to be in charge of your finances, but you don't want him to meddle with the rest of your life, is he really Lord or is he just a Savior? See, some of us know him as Savior. Oh, I got my golden ticket to heaven. But he wants to be Lord, not to make your life miserable, but to allow you to find freedom in your life. Amen? Come on now. All right. All right. Some sermons are fun. Some are tough. How many know you can have ice cream, but you got to eat the peas too? How many know what I'm talking about? All right. All right, so today's vegetables, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Here's some beginning steps. They're very elementary. Forgive me for how simple, but number one is put God first in every area of your life. If he's the Lord of your life, then I would ask, is he really the Lord of all of your life? See, Christianity is about putting God first in our life because I've been first for long enough. Here's a question. How's that working for you? right? This is the first step. It's the first step. It's on our wall. What we want you to do is settle the, do you know God? Is he the Lord of your life? Is, is he the Lord? Um, and I would say the way, the way we flesh this out is just, is God first in everything in your life? Is he the first in your time? Well, the answer probably is yes, because here's the first day of the week, and here you are starting your week off with him. Is he the first of your time? Here's one for you. Is he the first in your treasure? <laughs> Oops, sorry. Man, I just made a bad message worse, all right? Is he the first in your time? Is he the first in your treasure? Is he the first in your talents? Are you using the gifts he gave you to build the kingdom that will last forever compared to this earth that won't? Come on, right? So are, is he the first in your dreams? Is he the first in your hopes? Is he the, I could keep on going. Is he the first in deciding who you will date? Okay, I'll move on. All right. <laughs> I'm just going to go straight to my office after this message. You can greet yourself out. Okay, all right. Number two, here's some beginning steps. Say no to the flesh. Now, doesn't that sound really simple? And I know there's arguments already going on. I can see them floating above your heads right now. Yeah, but you don't understand. You know what? Saying no to the flesh isn't a one decision right here. It's an everyday decision. If you're reading through the Bible with us, the New Testament reading today was about he who's going to follow me has to take up his cross and say no to the flesh. 
That's part of Christianity. John the Baptist modeled it. He said, i got to become less so that God can become more in me. If you don't trust that God only has good things for you, you won't want him to become more in me. And if he's not becoming more in you, then I would ask the question, is he really your Lord or is he just your Savior? Yeah, all right. Um, Battle, there's always going to be a battle between the flesh and the spirit, constantly. Come on, anybody been serving God here for uh, more than 10 years? Can I see your hands? Is there a battle? Say yes or no. All right, I mean, anybody 40 years been serving God? Let me ask you the question, is there a battle? Yeah, see, those that have been serving God more than 40 years don't want to raise their hand. All right, let me do the math for you. Okay right? Yeah, there's always a battle because the flesh. And here's the thing. Watch this. Watch this. The one you feed is the one that will win the battle. The one you feed will be stronger. The one you starve will be weaker. And the one you feed will become stronger. So I beg of you, friends, get on the journey. I'm glad you're in church on Sunday morning. I love it. But I need about 50, 60, 70, 100 people to show up to Next Steps in February. I want you on the journey because you're feeding your spirit and starving your flesh. I promise you, the 1st of February, I promise you on Next Steps, it's going to be the nastiest day of weather. It's going to be dark outside. It's going to be raining outside. Your dog is going to have ate your homework. You're going to have had a bad day at work. Uh, Your kids are going to be sniffling, and you're going to come up with every reason the flesh is going to tell you why not to invest more in your spirit because the flesh is already doing war. Come on now. Um, Well, someone might say, well, you know, Ken, you're not being very sensitive. I have certain tendencies. And you're saying, just say no to the flesh. Now, I don't want to make a joke of this. This is a real relevant issue in our culture. Ken, but I have certain tendencies, or I have certain attractions, or, or I have certain appetites, or I have certain temptations. Watch this, everybody. So do I. And so does the person with the biggest Bible taking the most notes that's sitting next to you. Because we are all sinners saved by grace and we all have a sinful, fallen nature. And everyone in this walk, in this building, we're fighting with something. So what gives you an excuse to not fight against those when everyone else is fighting against those? Come on, quit believing the lie, everybody. I do love you, and that's why I'm preaching these messages, because I want you to walk further in God. Um, Number uh, four, uh, oops, I went the wrong way. (laughs) I got so nervous up here, I I just went an opposite way. Um, Let me get back in my notes here. Uh, How am I doing on time? Yep, I need to close. All right. Uh, Let's do this. Number three, let me give you this one real quick, is live in grace. you got to live in grace. That is the key to breaking addictions. If you live by religion, you will feel terrible every time you mess up. But if you live in grace, you won't feel pushed away from God when you mess up. Let me take a poll. It might not be happening right now, but how many have been in church long enough that you feel like this? You're trying to live right, and you do something bad, and now I feel far away from God. I don't want to pray, don't want to come to church, don't want to read my Bible because I feel full of shame. Look at the hands in the room. That is when you know you're being ruled more by religion than you are living in grace. 
because grace is unmerited favor. It says you can't do enough good behaviors to be accepted or blessed by God. I asked somebody not long ago uh, at a coffee shop, I said, well, are you a Christian? And they said this to me. They said, well, I'm trying to be. And I knew immediately they don't understand what it means to be a Christian because as a Christian, we're in Christ. There's no trying to it. You can try to find freedom and fight battles, but once you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. There's not levels of salvation. You're not in one minute and out the next minute. Oh, I seen evil, thought evil, heard evil. No, you're on the battle. Come on, everyone. All right? Okay. It's, and, and again, it's grace. It's not what I'm doing. It's what he's done. The devil is constantly accusing you of not doing enough. Let me see the hands of those that constantly hear the voice of, I'm not doing enough. I messed up too much. Come on. At least one time engage with me. I, I messed up. I'm not doing enough. I should have read more. should have prayed more. should have been in church more. I run into people at the grocery store, and they'll say, oh, sorry, I haven't been in church. I'm like, man, can we just talk about the bread? Come on. Right? <laughs> right? He, he, he is fighting us, and, and the devil is constantly accusing us of bad. You've seen all the hands that are up. And he's right. He's right. Once you settle that, we're bad. We're sinners saved by grace. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Watch it. Here's why this is so important. Please hear this. I'm, I'm trying to be funny about it to make a point, but if you try to live by your rules and the law, the Old Testament, and fulfill all those laws, it only gives more power to pour on the feelings of failure, and now we feel condemnation. Now the elevator has taken us down, but grace is unmerited favor, and it destroys condemnation, and it destroys shame, and shame is the glue that holds the addiction together. So if you're going to break the addiction, you got to break the shame and condemnation, and that comes through the message of grace. Come on and say a good amen. Watch this. i got to end with this, but watch. Romans 6.14. Uh, where's that at? For sin shall no longer be your master. Why? Because you are not under the law. You're not under the law. You are under grace. Now, grace doesn't say go out and live however. That's a whole other message, all right? There's a bunch of messages on grace on our, uh, on our webpage. Um, let's see. What do I need to do here? I need to... Give me the last point, and I'll just close with this one. Number four, uh, the fourth thing you can do. Again, these sound so elementary, but they're hard. Number four, stay connected to God and his family. You can't do it. God didn't design us to do it by ourselves. Come on. Even if you're going to have a family biologically, <laughs> you're not designed to do it by yourself. Right? We need one another. Let me give you just a couple quick verses that prove this theology. John 15, 5. It says this. This is the stay connected to God. Do I have John 15, 5? Uh, I know I'm skipping around a lot. There it is. I am the vine. You are the branches. This is Jesus talking. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. There's the freedom. There's the freedom. 
Galatians 5, there's the freedom. You're going to bear all those root. Love, patience, peace, joy. You're going to bear that. Not because someone gave you a five-point sermon on how to have joy, but because you are in intimate relationship with God. So stay connected to God. Watch this, Galatians 5. Give me Galatians 5. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. See, walk by the Spirit is not a once-a-year visit with the Spirit. Walking denotes relationship. We're walking together, right? And, 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 and I would say this, stop trying to act like Jesus and just start walking and abiding in Jesus. Stay connected to God and stay connected to his family. Therefore, today we'll unveil our life groups because life groups is not something we're just trying to do to, give you, to make your life busier. Life groups are an answer, are part of the application to a message like this. It's rude and irresponsible of me to say to you, stay connected to God and his family and not have avenues on how to read through the Bible in a year. Here's a prayer journal. It's free. You can go online, click. Here's how I pray if you don't know how to pray. Here's how I stay connected to God, and here's how I stay connected to family. We have groups and we have teams. We'll talk about those throughout this message. But here's our life groups for the year uh, or for this next semester. We're in a major transition in that. So uh, I've been in the driver's seat trying to catch up on that because I've decided this year we have got to make it a priority to do everything we know how to do to help you build relationships in the church.